Hello, and welcome to episode number two of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Today, our topic will be what to know about mineral rights with land professional Keith Morris out of Oxford, Mississippi. This discussion is based on what to know about mineral rights written by Keith Morris and published on our blog at nationalland.com. Prior to working with National Land Realty, Keith worked for Shell Oil for over 30 years and is now a professor at Old Miss University teaching business management and negotiation in addition to working as a land agent for National Land Realty. This makes him a premier source of information regarding mineral rights and land use. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. All right, so this is Mac Christian here with National Land Realty, and I'm sitting here with Keith Morris, who is a land professional out of Mississippi. Now, Keith has a unique sort of stable of of information in his head here that he's acquired over 37 years with Shell Oil um, and now is a professor at uh, at Ole Miss and also a land professional with us. And it it gives him a unique insight for the topic we're here to discuss, which is uh, mineral rights on properties, either from a buyer perspective or a seller's perspective, things to keep in mind to protect you. So Keith, I want to give you a chance here. Like, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get here? And uh, and you know, what have you done for the last thirty-seven years? That you know, it, I find it very interesting. So I'd rather you tell it. Well, thirty-seven years. I mean, it's like where's the time gone? It's just flown by. I can hardly imagine, Mac. You know, I uh, I am originally from a small town in Southwest Mississippi, Woodville, Mississippi. Uh, went to college there at Southern Miss. Graduated. And I interviewed with Shell. I actually was a real estate agent at the time. Interviewed with Shell and uh, started as a petroleum landman. Uh, and they put me directly in the field buying oil and gas leases in Arkansas and uh, Mississippi, later Michigan, and, uh, and, and worked there in the field. They went into the office and did what we call farm outs and farm ends, where you're trading oil and gas lease interest around. And then amazingly, they sent me into international. I didn't even have a passport. I didn't even know how to get a passport, you know? And I uh, went into international and negotiated uh, some contracts for Shell and uh, mostly in Latin America, but also in the Middle East, Asia. Uh, and then uh, was a land manager for the US activities at one time, then went back to working in Latin America. And in the middle of the pandemic, they, uh, they uh, asked me how long I was going to work, and I told them, well, forever, you know. <laughs> and then they offered me a separation package, and I accepted that. And then uh, reacquired my license and went to work for National Land and uh, teach at Ole Miss Business. So, you know, I'm kind of deciding that retirement doesn't fit well with me. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, you, you seem to be keeping yourself pretty busy. And then just to keep this in perspective, so like when we're talking about mineral rights on on properties or 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 a lease or or from a buyer's perspective or a seller's perspective you worked on the side of looking at these contracts i mean essentially when you're when you're talking about mineral rights on a property you've done this for 37 years looked at contracts that people have for their land and understood that bought and sold those and worked with with landowners on these kind of things right yeah so you know 
in the U.S., um, contrary to international, uh, in the international realm, mostly uh, the governments own the mineral interest. The U.S., private citizens own the minerals. A lot of people don't really understand that, but it was patented out of the U.S. government. They gave all right, title, and interest. Whatever the government owned, uh, the uh, people acquired, particularly when they're settling the West. Remember, they gave land grants. You're going to say that and, probably drove the wildcatter boom, right? Yeah. And so uh, uh, the minerals are out of the government for the most part. Of course, the government owns a lot of land still in the U.S., but uh, that which was patented out is owned by the uh, citizens, and it's a property interest. I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate that it's a property interest. And when you convey a property to someone else, you can convey everything you own, or you can convey everything you own with certain reservations. And mineral interests are one of those. And so what a Patron landman does is uh, they go into the courthouse and they check property records, generally back to probably when they realized the first well was drilled, maybe earlier. And then they run it forward from grantor to grantee and see if there's any reservations. If there are no reservations of minerals, the surface owner will own the minerals. If there are prior reservations, then there's a split of the mineral interest, right? And so you would have to negotiate with more parties for an oil and gas lease to cover that. And uh, it's, you know, it's very rare that someone turns you down when you knock on their door because they don't even know they own the minerals, right? <laughs> and well, you're there so to buy all the gas leads. Just to, like, I, I guess to throw it out into to more simple terms. So, so what you're saying is just because you own a piece of land, that, that dictates that you own surface rights. You own everything above the ground. Um, it, 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 depending on the state, you can own, you know, high water line or you can mm -hmm. own what's under the water, depending on, on the every state. state is different law every right? state yeah. and that's what makes it so fun to go from state mm -hmm. to state especially if you do a lot of fly fishing like i do um so but with that just because you own the surface does not necessarily mean that you own what is be below your own ground even if it's oil that's right you know uh most people don't really appreciate that they they will uh, someone will agree to convey to you all their right title and interest in a property and your presumption is that I have it all, right? I have all of your right, talent, interest. But you can't convey something you don't own, which would have been something that would have been reserved in prior title before you acquired it, right? So if that happened, there was a prior reservation. And so you would have whatever the seller owned, but you can't, of course, they can't convey something they don't own themselves. So you would only own uh, uh, that, and it'd be subject to prior reservations. When you get in some states where there's been a lot of oil and gas activity, you're going to find a lot more reservations. And if you go to a state where there's been no oil and gas activity, it's not at the forefront of someone's mind to reserve minerals, right? So you'll find lesser of those activities. But uh, it's a very interesting process. It takes time. It's uh, if you're into research and you kind of solving puzzles, you very much enjoy checking the titles. Sometimes it can be pretty quick and easy. Sometimes it can be quite complex. Uh, and then you go meet with the mineral owners and try to negotiate oil and gas leads. Uh, and you meet everyone. I mean, I have leased uh, federal judges. I have leased people that worked in, uh, you know, blue collar jobs all through the economic uh, spectrum. They're all wonderful. Uh, you never know what challenges you're going to have. You have to con you know, explain what you'd like to achieve, where you, what you're hoping to conduct. 
but generally speaking, it is uh, good money for a landowner that they would not have otherwise received. So it, you're generally a well-received. I don't think anybody slams the door on the publisher's uh, clearinghouse sweepstakes guy that shows up. <laughs> and, I, and not too many people are frustrated when the oil and gas company shows up at their door. I was going to say, so so how it works is is you make contact with the landowner. And this is given that you haven't seen any reservations which so basically, and I, and I want to walk back through that. So language wise. So when you're saying that there can be reservations on a property, what that means is somebody has said, basically, if, if something is here, then I have rights to it is, is, is well, they'll convey you is? all of their right, talent, and interest reserving and to themselves and their successors and assigns, maybe one half of the mineral interest. If they owned hundred percent of the interest today, then you would own all of the surface and half the minerals and the prior owner would own half the minerals. Okay. And it's held in perpetuity, except in some states like Louisiana, where absent activity, it reverts to the surface owner. But generally speaking, it is held in perpetuity. So it's interest that can proceed for your family forever, right? And you can trade and sell mineral interest just like you do the surface. Uh, it's done every day. So how would you, is that usually in the contract? So when you go to buy a piece of land, like, so if I'm, if I'm a prospective buyer and, and I sort of start going through the contract and, and, you know, the land rights, um, is it going to be in there specifically, or do you sort of need to watch out for anything? Do you need to be watching for reserved rights? And then you have to, so as you were talking about doing your homework back to the original landowner, is, is that a situation where you have to sort of do your homework? Well, most people are not going to know that on the land today, whether they own the minerals, they're going to think they own the minerals, <laughs> but they're actually not going to know. When you went to closing on the property, you got a title certificate or a title check. That title check generally was, does the person that own the land, purports to own the land, actually own it? Are they selling you what they own? It's not an abstract of title that goes all the way back, generally speaking, to check mental interest, right? Uh, so they're conveying what they own. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're making sure you have marketable title or good title to the property that you're acquiring. It's when there's oil and gas activity, you start realizing, well, maybe I didn't get all the minerals, right? Uh, and the person that sold them to you was acting in good faith when they sold the property. They didn't own them themselves. They didn't know. Or they didn't know, right? They didn't know themselves, right? So yeah. that's what I'm saying. It's very mysterious. And then people, you know, get concerned and whatnot. Uh, but generally speaking, when you convey property in the in the it'll be what you're speaking to will be addressed in the in the land purchase contract. Some forms has it a check where you know you convey all, half, some, you'll check. Other forms will not say anything. And if you're conveying all your right, talent, interest, you're conveying everything you own, whatever that may be. Uh, and so you're conveying minerals. So unless there is a reservation, there is a conveyance. That's the important okay. mindset. Yes. So, so if you were a landowner and you wanted to find out if you own any mineral rights or if you own half or anything like that, what, what process would you go through? Well, I tell people, people ask me this question from time to time. And I tell them, you know, if you're kind of interested in research and you're kind of interested in land-related matters, uh, you can learn a lot of this on your own. Uh, you go to the property record room in the courthouse in which your land is situated, 
and it'll be organized in a number of ways. Uh, some will have what they call a section index, which will list all of the conveyances in that section. That's easier. You can go back through all the way back. Maybe you could start it in 1900 to present, and it may be seven, eight conveyances. If it's in a rural property, more if you're closer to a city. Generally, every generation or two will transfer it. Uh, and you can see if there's any reservations as you pull the book. So have a book and page against the wall, typically. You can pull those books and see if there's a prior reservation of minerals. If you do not see a prior reservation, then all right title and interest conveyed from grantor to grantee as you went through the chain of title, right? Um, that's basically it. You can hire an attorney to do this for you. Probably wouldn't be that expensive because if it's a local attorney, they know that record room very well, mm. and they can probably do it in an hour or two. Uh, very reasonable. Um, so, you know, you have two ways. You can do it on your own, or you can hire someone to do it. I encourage people to do it on their own because it's kind of interesting to see the history of your property, which families may have owned it in the past. Maybe you know some of their relatives. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to do the history, just like, you know, you do your ancestry for yourself. Look at the piece of property who owned it in the past. It's, I find that always very interesting. Uh, yeah, and I was going to ask, so and I just mostly because I don't know how it works. It, it seems like so could you potentially have a reservation in in the title? So somebody says, you know, I'm selling this to you, but I'm retaining half of the mineral rights. Mm-hmm. And then on the next sale, so, you know, next buyer gets it, they can do a full conveyance of everything that they own rights and title. But since that there was that, so since they didn't own 100%, they're still selling everything they have, yeah, everything but, you have. But, but you wouldn't see that reservation that was there no. before, right? You know, that conveyance would be subject to prior reservations, okay. so protecting the prior reservation. But yes, the buyer gets everything subject to whatever is in the back titles, we say. So you really and, do have to go all the way back to find which reservations were there. Yeah. Technically speaking, you have to go all the way back to patent. Okay. It came out of the U.S. government. But if you're looking for oil and gas, you know, the first well was drilled, you know, late 1800s. So you can say, okay, well, I'll start around 1900, run it forward. That's dangerous. No person in is going to tell you, well, don't go back to patent. I'm just kind of giving you a, you know, a practical uh, approach. It's going to be very location dependent, whether you're in a place that had a lot of oil and gas activity or not, you know. But people didn't think about the mineral interest until they realized there was value there, right? And then they said, okay, well, I, I don't, I kind of would like to keep some mineral interest. So they would hold it and uh, reserve half or a fourth. Uh, and then uh, let everything else convey. And, um, you know, uh, finding some of those heirs can be quite problematic because they don't know that they own minerals either. They went back a couple of generations, maybe. So it's kind of like I say, it's kind of like being a detective sometimes. It's quite interesting. It sounds like being a detective most of the time, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're really yeah. interested in this, especially if you're looking at buying property again to where like you can buy something and it has a conveyance of you know even if it stipulates that that you know you're taking into account all prior reservations you still want to go back and address exactly what those reservations are all the way back to patent in case you know there's not even a a full understanding from the current landowner yeah so you you might want to understand for example easements if there are prior easements um a right-of-way 
surface use restrictions. I mean, we're speaking about minerals, but there's a lot of things that could be out there, all of which, none which, none of which would probably impair the transfer of the property, but you're buying it subject to those prior uh, encumbrances on the land. And uh, it's just good to know those. I mean, personally, when I buy land, I run, you can imagine, I run it all the way back, <laughs> back to patent. So I know when I am uh, buying property, what's out there. And uh, of course, I still hire an attorney to do a record title. They tell me I'm not uh, licensed to practice law and everybody laughs, but I, I do run the title myself and uh, make sure I know what I'm buying. I mean, it's no different than anything else. I encourage landowners to go and look, just understand the process and you know, you might, you might really enjoy it and just run your property back and see who owned it and what you may uh, own in terms of minerals and so forth. It's quite an interesting process. What's a uh, situationally, especially from a, from a, you know, a land professional perspective, what's, have you run into any situations where this has been an issue as far as like, you know, somebody coming in trying to buy a property, finding out either that they, they own a lot or that they own very little. Well, people, it's, it's interesting, you know, when you buy property, you have a reason for buying it. You know, you're looking for recreational property, you're buying it for timberland, you're buying it for pasture, cattle, you're buying it for um, some use, home sites. Uh, they're not thinking in terms of minerals. They're not thinking in those terms. So generally speaking, when I'm representing a seller, I ask them, do you want to reserve some of the minerals? Some of them are indifferent, not really interested in that. Some immediately say, well, yes. I said, okay, why don't we reserve half? And then of course you got some landowners say, I want it all. <laughs> I didn't think about it, I want it all, you know? And I've done <laughs> some of all of those three in the transactions I have worked on, uh, you know, but I generally will raise it and ask them if that's important to them. Uh, buyers tend to be less focused on that because they're not buying it for the minerals. Uh, they're well, going to get the intent when they went in, yeah, right? It wasn't the intent, right? So they they will see the contract. If the seller reserves half, uh, you know that's okay. Uh, uh, if the seller reserves all, that might be okay. Uh, if the seller reserving nothing, uh, that's fine too. Uh, they're not buying it with that being in the stream of consciousness as to the basis for buying it. Now, when I buy property, uh, you can imagine, <laughs> that's gonna be on the checklist of the things to negotiate. And uh, you know, generally speaking, it's fair for the uh, seller to reserve some minerals, but it is certainly fair for the buyer to receive some minerals because if there's oil and gas activity on the land, you know, they want to participate in the benefits of that. So, well, and, uh, and you also stated in your, and make sure that I'm, I'm understanding, you know, you'd previously written an article about this and I wanted to make sure I understood it. Yeah. So, so part of the reason for this is so that people cannot inhibit the, the ability to withdraw minerals from a given piece of land. So you could potentially own the land and the person who owns the mineral rights could harvest from that land regardless, correct? When generally in most states, mm -hmm. The mineral servitude, the mineral estate, is of a higher priority than the surface estate. Right. And at first you think, well, that's kind of odd, right? That's kind of odd. But if you think about it, 
you know, which surface owner that doesn't have any minerals is going to be supportive of the, you know, equipment coming on, drilling of wells and whatnot, and get no benefit out of it. So, you know, you, you could hamper or impair the rights of another co-owner in the property, which is the mineral estate, right? So most courts, as mine, as I, I'm not an attorney, most courts, as I understand, uh, do provide priority to the mineral estate. And they recognize that uh, that is of uh, importance. Um, so and then as I say, if I'm in a uh, representing a client, you know, as a seller, the buyer, I mention this, put it out on the table. You know, the buyer is going to want to make get some economic benefit in the land that they're acquiring, and that's very reasonable. And it's also reasonable for the seller to say, "Listen, I want to retain some interest in this in case something happens." So it's part of the negotiation. If neither one are interested, then it just goes forward. And that, interestingly, is in my experience, is about half the times. You know, neither party is really interested in it. You know? Which is fun. And just knowing knowing how it's viewed from an industry perspective, I I find that fascinating that that you can buy you know let's say a large piece of land, and you still didn't buy the most valuable part of it. Like the the fact that the below ground rights are often seen as more value more valuable and given priority in an exchange. I, I just think that's fascinating. So is that, that's something that you would definitely say any person who owns or is looking to buy or looking to sell land, this is something that everybody should probably look into. Well, you just want to make it as part of the deal. You know, it's all factored into the price and the competition for the property. And it's all part of the deal negotiations. You know, the minerals are not going to be worth anything if there's no well drill and there's no production. Most oil and gas will, wells that are drilled are dry. Most people think there's a high, super high success rate. There's not, honestly. Uh, and so most wells are going to be dry. So, uh, it, but if it is good, you're exactly right. It's most likely going to be the most valuable aspect of that land, uh, particularly if it's uh, a lot of accumulation of oil there or gas, uh, could be very valuable. Um, it's part of the negotiation is what I say. Uh, if it's important, factor it in. If it's not important, don't factor it in. Just have a make a conscious decision around the transaction as to what's important for you and what do you want to uh, secure. And and I know that you know you mentioned this gets asked of you a lot, and I want to make sure that I ask it. And I know that the, mm. you've you've kind of told me your response a little bit, but I, I think it's good to walk through anybody who could be listening. You know, you're talking mostly from an oil perspective, and that's usually what people are looking at because it's mm -hmm. usually the easiest to find of mineral rights. But let's talk about like gold, precious gems, that kind of thing. If people are looking to have that incorporated into their purchase or sale, you know, what's what's your kind of response to that? Well, uh, who's not looking for a gold mine, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, usually that's going to be very state specific as to what is included in all gas and other minerals. That's very a case law, very state specific. So this, this is time, the other mineral categories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It may, may, may be included in that, may not. You'll find that perhaps more in states like Nevada and places like that. You're not going to find that as much here in the Southeast, but you know, the other thing that people will ask about is, for example, gravel. Is gravel part of the mineral estate or not? That's, again, going to be very state-specific, often not, but that's something that would be pretty important, maybe, 
uh, something that would need to be considered if there's a gravel deposit there. People tend to kind of know where the gravel deposits are, you know, uh, but that would be an area where you would certainly, if you're wanting the gravel, if there's a gravel deposit there, you'd want to explore that for sure, you know. Because if you if you open up your own quarry, those can be fairly valuable, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it's, uh, go ahead, sorry. It's part, it's part of the bundle of rights, timber, water. I mean, you're in some states, water rights are the most valuable thing you can have, right? Uh, everyone focuses on what's important to them. Uh, they're not worried as much about oil and gas. They're worried about the water. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, I, there's, I know a lot of ranchers in our area where, where you can have like geneal genealogical rights, right? Where the person above water from you can shut off your water until yeah, they had their fill. And absolutely. Then those, are, those are straight up break up families. <laughs> and what priority you are in the water rights. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, so it's another one of the bundle of rights. It's all part of the negotiation. And I think what's fascinating to me is that people tend to focus on what they can see and they don't focus on what they can't see. And as you correctly pointed out, Mac, there's a lot of value in things you can't see sometimes. And so you should have a, make a conscious decision of what's important to you. And since land runs in perpetuity, I mean, how many investments you know out there that's going to run in perpetuity? Not much. There's only been two asset classes that have, I, I've researched that have run in perpetuity and been uh, a currency of sorts, and that's gold and land. And gold doesn't produce anything, so that takes me to land, right? And so if you own land or minerals, that's going to go in perpetuity, thousands of years. So it's a valuable asset to own. And um, I think it's important to look at the whole bundle of rights as to what you're acquiring, why you want to own it, and what could be here. What could, what's the possibilities of this property? Not just today, but in the future. So if I'm, and if I'm, if I'm a landowner or I'm a, I'm a prospective buyer, in this, you know, looking at, at preserving my best interest, what is, what is the single most important thing I can do to, to protect myself, making sure that I, and then you mentioned doing your own research, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, of, you know, somebody hunt, get, going out and getting a recreational tract or something like that, mm -hmm. and just not knowing what they're getting a hold of, um, and, and maybe not, not being as, is dialed in to go do the research. What's, mm -hmm. Who, who do you reach out to? What do you want to well, do? So I, you know, again, you can do it yourself. You can hire someone. I, I'll give you some, some resources. A landowner can look at themselves. Uh, every state generally has an oil and gas board. It's fascinating. You can go to those sites, and they will have plotted all the oil and gas wells that have been drilled in that state. There's a map. And you can go to that uh, uh, map, and some places you can press an icon and it'll show you the well log. Now I can't interpret a well log, but it'll give you the results of that well log, right? And you can say, okay, there's been some activity here. If so you can activity, see what, what went dry or like, you know, what, what holes were dry and what holes produced just from yeah. going to the state? Okay. Yeah, you can go to the state on gas board. There may be an analysis of the well log or there may just be raw data. If it's raw data, I can't tell much about that. But generally speaking, there's some comments about the well. You know, if they plugged it, obviously, you know, it was of no good, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, plug a good well, right? <laughs> no, generally not. So, 
you know, you, you, would, you would look at that and see what activity is happening in the area, right? So I do that on the properties I buy. I, I like to know, and it's surprising sometimes, wells drilled in the 50s. Uh, somebody will remember that in the area. You know, it's amazing how much knowledge carries forward for a couple of generations. And the second thing you can do, if there are leasing in your area, this is fascinating. You can go to the same place, the property room, the record room in the county, and ask to see the, typically they have oil and gas leases in a different book. It's separate from the conveyances. They have an oil and gas lease book, record, a room. Uh, you can pull the last book, the very last book, and see what leases have been secured, and you can see what terms the oil and gas companies paid for those leases. And that can be valuable to have, to see what is going on in the county in which your land is located. Um, that's valuable because you can see what the royalty, landowners get a royalty, a share, a non-cost share of future production. Well, you want to see what has kind of been paid. What is the market for oil and gas, you know, for royalty? The second thing a landowner would get in a lease is a bonus, an upfront payment. That can be pretty substantial. A royalty can kind of run between an eighth on the low side to as high as about a fourth. You won't often see a fourth unless you're in an area where there's been a lot of production, a lot of activity, but it can go as high as a fourth. An eighth is kind of the standard lease for very frontier, remote areas. Typically, you'll find something in between, and bonus uh, will run uh, all over the place. Cash bonus per acre, uh, you know, that varies depending upon the area. But uh, you can find a lot of information just by going to the courthouse and seeing what the activity is and kind of what the going market terms are for an oil and gas lease in the county in which your land is located. Yeah. So, and, and then just to make, you know, I want to, again, make sure for anybody that is not familiar. So what, what this is saying is a, a, a drilling company, an oil company can come in and, and lease your land. And this is them saying, we'll do all the work. Mm -hmm. We just want to come onto your land, put a hole in the ground and pull the oil out. And then we'll pay you up front for what, what, you know, the granting of the lease. So the for granting. the granting of the lease, we'll pay you up front. Mm -hmm. We'll give you a bulk sum of money. And then We'll give you an eighth to a quarter percent of the return from anything that we drill up after we get the, the production. This kind of free money. I mean, I don't want to say free money, but this is this is work that you don't have to do that they're doing on your behalf that they'll pay you for. Absolutely. So you get a royalty, a share of royalty. They will pay it periodically, uh, and they do all the work. You're exactly right. The oil company takes all of the risk, and you share in the reward with the oil company based on the percentage of royalty you have reserved in your oil and gas lease. Uh, and so, you know, if it's one eighth, you're gonna get one eighth and the oil company is gonna get seven eighths, mm -hmm. right? And uh, if it's a fourth, you're gonna get one out of four barrels and they're gonna get three out of four barrels if it's oil. Right. Uh, and then you take that and it gets a little complex, but your acreage is it contributes to a unit. The oil and gas board will set a unit for uh, the well, it might be 80 acres, might be 160 acres. If it's gas, it could be 640. I've seen some as big as 1,280 acres. And your track, as it pro rata to the greater size of the unit, and your royalty, as it relates to the greater size of the unit, you will get a share of that income. So it's actually 
more ideal because you'll get a royalty rate based on a larger area that could have more oil and gas. So it's, you know, it's kind of interesting how that plays out. So you could have a different split. So given if you're, if you're put into the same area and I'm, I'm assuming that has to do with, with the reserve below ground, like mm. if it goes across different boundaries. So you are essentially, you would be splitting some of those royalties with other landowners if they were tapped into the same area, right? Well, they would have negotiated their own lease. If it's okay. the same royalty, it would be pro rata to your acreage as it relates to the size of the unit. So if you had, let's just say, a 640-acre unit, two tracks with 320, and you both had the same royalty, it's no difference, okay. right? But if you had 40 acres and someone else had 600 acres, you're going to get 40 over 640 as it relates to the production profile and your royalty as it relates to the size of the unit as a whole. Is there any sticking points as far as, you know, you're basically putting a straw on the gr in the ground? Like, what if, what if two people are pulling out of the same bucket? Well, that's the reason why you have units and you have all okay, the gas board that manages that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You remember the old days when they had, you know, wells almost stacked on each other? Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the reason why they passed oil and gas laws in each state and have oil and gas board that they have geologists on staff and they kind of monitor that reservoir and they allocate units and you produce within that unit. So it's to avoid waste. And, gotcha. Um, yeah. So, and, and I know that, I know that, you know, uh, fracking has become a big thing, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is, which is more in your shale areas, but where are the areas that, and so I, I think that in the Northwest, a lot of that is getting discovered now, especially in the Dakotas, that's kind of been found mm -hmm. for a while, but they, they come across these from time to time in the Northwest, but you don't find a lot of the, the oil kind of style wells. Where, where would you say that people really need to pay attention to, to sort of like their land rights other than everywhere. Cause I think, I think that the end answer is probably everywhere. Um, but the, the ones that, you know, the regions that where people definitely need to be really dialed into their, to their mineral rights. Well, that's a hard question because as you say, it's everywhere. You don't know where someone's <laughs> going to drill in the future. And right? everywhere is a perfectly fine answer. I just want yeah, to, I mean, you don't know where someone's <laughs> going to drill in the future. So, you know, the future is where it's going to be valuable. I mean, it's not valuable if they don't drill on your land. But if they drill on your land, you know, it's going to become pretty valuable to you. So uh, I tell people it's important everywhere. But obviously, like I said earlier, and I said in the article that I wrote, um, if you're buying a piece of beach property, you're going to be focused on water access and view. If you're buying in the Permian Basin in Texas, you're not worried about anything but the mineral rights. <laughs> <laughs> people focus on what's at the <laughs> forefront of their mind, right? Why am I buying this property? So the further you get away from a producing area, the less people focus on it. And perhaps they should give some consideration to it because, you know, no one thought of the Williston Basin many years ago as being something that it has become, right? Um, there are areas here in Mississippi that people had not considered before as having oil and gas potential. You see that in Alabama, right? Uh, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, with the uh, production there. So there are places where it wasn't given as much importance. There was in declining reserves, oil and gas was of less activity, but with the shell boom, when they created this technology, that was kind of a game changer. So people went back to where they knew oil existed our gas and they started uh recommencing activities 
And so I think it's important everywhere. It's just part of the deal. I mean, it's nothing to get over importance to, but it's something not to do without having given it some thought. If you're in an area where there is not a lot of oil and gas production, you know, uh, and that's, I think that's a really valuable point to bring up too, is, is, is the, the fracking techniques were sort of brought into areas that, that had sort of been tapped out. Right. And mm -hmm. they found a new way of extraction that could make mm -hmm. it more efficient and mm -hmm. get that, get that guess. Mm -hmm. So, so even if you think it, it, you know, your, your property might not hold, or even if you think it's done and tapped, there still might be new technologies out there that could utilize it. So definitely, again, going back to your answer always pay attention to regardless of where you are well it's like the guy that robbed the bank why are you robbing the bank you say well that's where the money is right <laughs> so oil and gas people go back to where the oil and gas is and that's where the focus is because it's seen as less risk versus a frontier exploration which is very high risk but it's also very high reward right and so that's the reason why it's a difficult thing. So where should I focus? Well, there's going to be someone willing to take a risk in a new exploration trend, a new geological concept that previously had not been considered. And there's going to be others that go back to these highly productive areas and look at other horizons where they might want to explore. I mean, I'm not a geologist, but I saw that every day. They focused on where there had been previous production in retested concepts and ideas. And of course, seismic and the imaging of the subsurface improves with technological advances. I mean, they had 3D seismic, all of these different advantages where they saw things they had never before considered. So uh, technology brings forward opportunity. And if you own minerals, you're gonna own it in perpetuity. Uh, it's something to give some consideration to. I mean, I have seen, um, Sellers, if I'm representing the seller, he wants to reserve all the minerals. I'm not representing the buyer. And the buyer don't ask. And the seller was well willing to give half the minerals. It just wasn't right. asked for. You get what you negotiate in life. You get what you, you know? negotiate. You with. get what so, you negotiate, right? But always be negotiating is what you're saying when it comes to the land. You need to, you need to represent your interest and, and, and know why you're buying it and know the full value that could be in the property as to what could happen in the future and what, why it's important to you. If it's not important, maybe, you know, you wouldn't put as much emphasis on it, but at least ask for it. Well, I would, I would say that this is a, it's a good lead into the, to the exit on, on the, uh, on the conversation here. Cause I think that that comes down to also make sure that you're working with the right professional when you're looking at buying or selling the land that is knowledgeable on these areas and so, so Keith, I wanted to ask you, how would somebody get a hold of you, given this, this knowledge that you have to make sure that they can uh, make sure that they're on the up and up when they're buying or selling in your area? Well, I'm always available. Uh, you can see my credentials on uh, nationalland.com uh, or my email, keithmorris at nationalland.com. And happy to help anyone. Again, you have resources locally uh, through any local attorneys in the state you may be in. Uh, you can go to the property room in the county seat. Uh, these are, you know, uh, public employees. You're paying the taxes for their services. They can assist you. They're not going to run your title for you, but they can assist you on where you might look. Uh, and the oil and gas board, which is often a state uh, entity, they're not going to know whether you own minerals, 
but they can tell you what activity or direct you on how to see what activity has taken place in the area in which your land is located. Uh, but I guess my uh, parting words would be live with intention in everything you do. And that would include uh, buying and selling property, knowing what you want and going for what you require. I think that's sage advice. Well, Keith, I, I can't thank you enough for your wealth of knowledge and the time that you have given here today. Um, it is very much appreciated. Thank you, Mac. This concludes episode number two of the National Land Realty podcast, discussing mineral rights with one of our land professionals, Keith Morris, out of Oxford, Mississippi. You can learn more about land ownership or the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.